You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the I Dig It Podcast. A podcast where we talk about the student perspective of navigating the world of archaeology and anthropology. I'm your host, Michaela. And I'm your host, Alyssa. Hello. Welcome to our Pillow Talk episode because we are in the same room. We actually are this time. For the first time and almost since we started this podcast yeah. in over a year. Yeah. Wait. Almost a year. Almost a year. Yeah, not over a year. Yeah, it was September. It was the last time we saw each other. That's crazy. I know. I feel like I'm seeing you every day without seeing you every day. I mean, technically <laughs> with video chats. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we are down in Southern California Woo. visiting my grandmother, and we decided to pick up Michaela on the way because yeah. we've all been quarantined and social mm-hmm. distanced i missed people needed human interaction god who other is than family members so yeah here we are here we are <laughs> it was like a whole week of just like are you are we sure or like has everyone been quarantining if nobody's been quarantined like has this person been quarantined okay okay, okay we're good we're okay good. we're good. Okay, that's we're good. right no symptoms okay no we were gonna do a road trip and we were gonna go into arizona nevada utah just like outdoorsy park visits. Yeah. And, and then within a few weeks of planning that. The border shut. <laughs> basically. Everything. They planned close yeah, the they were planning on closing the borders. Several states have. Like over 50,000 cases in one yeah. day. And like. It'd be wild. Yeah. It'd be wild out there. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, let's just go to your grandma's, go into a pool, go out in like nature a little bit. Just relax a bit yeah it's like we weren't even planning on like going into anywhere because covid and places are closed even if places were reopening we still wouldn't go in there yeah yeah oh well it was a fun week anyways yeah having a good time yep having a good time until until this last monday so today it is july 9th 2020 and Something happened on July 6th, I believe. Yeah. July 6th, 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, started, I started seeing people post a lot about it yesterday, oh, okay. which was the 8th. Um, so I think that's when it became general public news. Yeah. But anyways, the thing we're talking about is the quote unquote temporary international student ban put mm-hmm. on by ICE, which kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about exactly that and mainly on the effects it has on universities and the students because mm-hmm. that is so big right now yeah and since this is a student podcast about archaeology and anthropology we are largely affected by our international students oh, and yeah. like half the student body half of my cohort going into my next year is international students who are now affected by this and can't find a way to make it over so a big sad, big sad, a big sad on the upcoming year and on the year already. And even though it's only temp, well, it says it's temporary until the end of the year. But if people aren't able to get their visas now for mm-hmm. the fall, then they can't get their visas for the rest of the year. And who knows if they're even going to be able to get the visas because then there's going to be a, a like a backlog mm-hmm. for people trying to get their visas. Yeah, I mean, even now see. before this thing happened, a couple of our international students were having trouble just getting an appointment with the commissions in their countries because everything's closed down. 
So like one of our um, cohort members, the earliest appointment he could get was October. Wow. Yeah. And the term starts in September. So and everyone moves in in August. So he was already he was already facing struggles with that. And then now this is happening. So kind of sucks. So let's get into it. (laughs) (laughs) Old talk. Uh, we laugh so we don't cry. <laughs> Basically, that's the only way. It's it's called deflection. <laughs> <laughs> we're great at it. We're, we're so good. Due to COVID-19, the USA government has stopped immigration for those outside of the U.S. to come into the U.S. to, quote unquote, prevent more to be affected by the virus. And that ban started late June, I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, but June 26th, I feel like that's when the news dropped. With the Trump administration withdrawing the U.S. from who, I don't know, any reasoning currently happening for that. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) as a part of this immigration ban, on July 6, 2020, the Trump administration and the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, issued a statement saying that non-immigrant F1 and M1 students attending schools operating entirely online may not take a full online course load and remain in the United States. While this is still just a proposal, it means basically any international students with online-only courses will have to leave the United States. This is leaving thousands of students to be forced to return to their home country, where they may or may not have the same access to internet and resources as they would in the United States, while paying full price as if they are still currently at the university. And this ban leaves a plethora of PhD students halfway through their research, master's students, medical students, undergraduates, pre-law, everyone in limbo. The ban is something they are calling temporary. However, with students currently enrolled, paying, and have been attending these universities, just how temporary is it? Especially with people in their last semesters, last years. Oh, I can't imagine being in my last year going through this. Or even in my first year. I connected with a Stanford PhD student who just started. She's from India. She's in her first year of her PhD. And can you imagine having moved to a different country, like as coronavirus is hitting and all of this stuff in the U.S. is happening as a foreign exchange student? And then this happens like she she said that she's just ready to quit her PhD altogether. And wow, it's so like I can't blame her, though. Like this has been such a year, especially for a first year PhD student. It's like why even like try again later? Yeah. Why even bother continuing this? Yeah. Yeah, I I feel for everyone out there. So the temporary law issued by ICE reads as follows. Um, Number one, students attending schools operating entirely online may not take a full online course load and remain in the United States. The U.S. Department of State will not issue visas to the students enrolled in schools and or programs that are fully online for the fall semester, nor will U.S. Customs and Border Protection permit these students to enter the United States. So active students currently in the United States enrolled in such programs must depart the country or take other measures such as transferring to a school with in-person instruction to remain in lawful states or potentially face immigration consequences, including but not limited to the initiation of removal proceedings. If you currently attend a school that is going online, you can either transfer to a school that isn't going online or you can be deported. Or if your school isn't online and you have in-person classes, but your school gets hit by COVID and suddenly has to go online, then you face 
deportation or you have to transfer in the middle of your term. So at any point in the semester, if your school decides to go online, you will be asked to leave the country. I don't understand when they say transfer. You can't just transfer universities. As if that's something you can just easily do. <laughs> okay, one second. Let me apply to this university and I'm going to I'm gonna try to go over there. Yeah, let me just... That's what I'm interpreting from that. I don't know I what know. they mean by it's that. It's like, hey, I'm a student at Harvard and now all my classes are online and I'm getting deported. Can you please accept me at Boston University? <laughs> like some neighboring school? I don't know. All right, number two... The students attending schools operating under normal in-person classes are bound by existing federal regulations. Eligible F students may take a maximum of one class or three credit hours online. When you're attending a school under normal pretenses, you can only take one class. I don't understand. I don't understand that either because if they're pushing for all the universities to be open and you can only take one class, what's the point of being open? Yeah, yeah, that's not even a full course load. No. So you're limiting international students to taking the minimum course load. Mm-hmm. But why? I don't, I don't um, understand that part. I don't understand that either. <laughs> All right, number three. <laughs> number three, students attending schools adopting a hybrid model that is a mixture of online and in-person classes will be allowed to take more than one class or three credit hours online. These school must certify to SEVP through the form I-20 Certificate of Eligibility for Non-Immigrant Student Status that the program is not entirely online, that the student is not taking an entirely online course load for the fall 20 semester, and that the student is taking a minimum number of classes required to make the normal progress in their degree. The above exemptions do not apply to F1 students in English language training programs or M1 students who are not permitted to enroll in any online courses. If your school is in person, fully in person, you can only take one class. But if your school is half in person, half online, you can take more than one class. I don't understand. I don't get that. I mean, I see a big difference with the US and the UK from our experience, where it's like we would be able to stay for six months after the visa. And now you can stay up to two years after the visa. And then it's here. It's like, okay, go home. You're done. Go home. <laughs> Unless You're you get a job. Yeah. You just um, gave into our economy. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. So upon this immigration ban in late June, the main one stopping immigration until the end of this year, Boston University sent out a statement about how it does not affect current students or employee on H-1 or F-1 visas. And this was from the original presidential proclamation for the immigration ban, suspending all entry to the United States for foreign national employees in H-1B, H-2B, L-1, and non-academic J-1 visa categories from June 24th, 2020 to December 31st, 2020. And now, when you add to that with the student ban upon the inability to attend classes in person at least three hours, what's really going on? Is this really something about COVID or is this pressure from the government to reopen schools? Yeah. I think, which we'll talk about a little later now, but I think a lot of the universities who are responding to this are taking it as an attack from the government saying, you need to reopen or else we'll punish you. And this is how we're doing that. Mm -hmm. And there's also been talk about taking away funding, like federal government funding to schools who decide not to reopen. There was a tweet from him and he was saying, well, these other countries in Europe have already reopened their schools. And then I saw a response from that saying, Norway reopened in April, 
when there was only at least 40 cases a day being reported. I actually just had that post up on my phone. I wonder if it's still here. Mr. President tweeted, in Germany, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, and many other countries, schools are open with no problems. The Dems think it would be a bad would be bad for them politically if U.S. schools open before the November election. But it's important for the children. Blah blah blah. blah. But someone responded: Yesterday's new coronavirus cases: Germany two hundred ninety eight, Denmark ten, Norway eleven, Sweden fifty seven, United States fifty five thousand four hundred forty two new cases in one day. I think we can see why. Why they opened and why, why we should not. And then they actually take all the prevent- preventative measures to reopen. And I know that the CDC issued like a nine-page ruling like of what schools should do if and if they reopen. And it's like, okay, so have dividers, wear masks, sanitize, sanitize everything. And that was poo-pooed on by the president. Poo-pooed. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's um, tamest way I can say that. Mm. And it's just like, why yeah. are you putting your people in harm's way? And it's crazy. Like with the surges in Arizona and everything, you're seeing a lot of like new developments in COVID also. And younger people are being infected. And then they're saying antibodies only last a couple weeks now and then you can be reinfected. So antibodies don't even like they're not even yeah. So, yeah, there's just so much we don't know about this disease, and we've done such a bad job at anything yeah. <laughs> related to getting rid of it. So, yeah, I don't think yeah school is a bad option. And also with schools reopening, say, like, one teacher comes to class with COVID and doesn't know it until they're infected or until they have the symptoms. Now they've infected every single period of their classroom and all of the families of those children. And that's like half the school there. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, and any people the children interact with. So it, all it takes is one case for everything mm-hmm. to go tits up. So it's like, I think that if things were to actually have been enforced back in March, like what they were trying to do, and like, I really only know what was happening in California because this is the state that I live in. And the news that I mainly watch because it's like, okay, what's going on here? What do I need to do? Mm. And we would be going out to the store maybe once a week. We would have everything delivered. Especially in LA, they were really strict oh, on yeah. going out. Yeah. But then you would go out to others like Orange County, for example, and nobody's wearing masks. They're all just like hanging out mm-hmm. amidst like a mandatory quarantine. But they're just like, oh, we're just being sheep. Yeah being herded it's like no yeah i mean at my workplace in sacramento they only just started enforcing the six feet apart rule and masks like a week ago yeah and we're in july we're in july now <laughs> yeah and so yeah people are silly yeah well back to the visa <laughs> back to the visa back to the visas yeah I, I mean, I can I can see what they're trying to do because COVID is only increasing. Yeah. But, I mean, withdrawing people's ability to learn and attend university on their own time and dime, or they're renting out their own apartments, living there and doing everything. to the economy. Yeah. I mean, like my grandma said a couple of days ago when she brought it up, she was like, oh, well, you have to think about the government and their responsibility for people. And if they were to get sick and die here... Like, how would that fall on our government? 
etc. I don't know. I feel like it's more dangerous to have people flying back and forth or kicking people out. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and when we're talking about numbers, so this rule that for the temporary ban is applying to F1 and M1 visas, which are for academic and vocational students. And back in 2019, during that fiscal year, the State Department issued 388,839 F visas and 9,518 M visas in just that year alone. And that's usually for new visas, not for reoccurring visas, because there is no reoccurring visas, because you usually just get your one visa for the entire thing. I'm assuming. I might have to check up on that. <laughs> but so it's safe to say if you do around that number each year, we have over a million international students in the country at any yeah. time yeah yeah so what i mentioned with the cdc's nine-page guideline to next safe reopening for schools trump was already looking into that and threatening to cut funding if schools do not fully reopen and also attack the cdc's nine-page guideline mm-hmm. but the thing is is that he has this fear tactic that he's been trying to do and he actually has no authority nor ever follows through on his threats But because of this fear thing that he's trying to do, it keeps people to do things in his way. Because it's like, oh my god, well, he's the president. It's like, no, he literally does not have any authority to do stuff like that. Yeah, his big thing is just discrediting everyone. So people who have spent their whole life studying diseases and educated people, he's saying, no, it's all fake news. Listen to me. I know everything. And... For some reason, people believe that. And now there's this big fake news scandal with every single credible resource. Yeah. Yeah. Or people feel like anything they do look up is fake news. So they just turn to the president. Well, I think that's about all we can talk about the ban because we don't really know exactly what's happening with it because it's still in fresh, still fresh, still a proposal. And we'll talk about, like, the petitions and backlash and all that stuff. Probably going to change a lot in the next week, so. Yeah. So after this break, we're going to come back and talk about the effect on universities. Stay tuned. So how has this affected universities? First of all, universities lose thousands of their students. International students contribute about $41 billion to the U.S. economy every year. U.S. universities and research programs depend on revenue from international students to survive. U.S. universities may be compelled to prematurely open in-person instruction and risk virus transmission. STEM companies thrive and depend on global talents. And husbands, there's a few universities that have already said that they're going fully online in the fall. It was one of those is Harvard stating that they're going fully online. Mom and dad... Harvard and MIT filed pleadings against this ICE order, saying that the order basically came down without notice. It's cruel and reckless. It appears that it was designed purposely to place pressure on colleges and universities to open their on-campus classrooms for in-person instructions this fall without regard for concerns for the health and safety of students, instructors, and others. And so this comes at a time when the United States has been setting daily records for the number of new infections, with more than 300,000 new cases reported since July 1st. It's July 9th. (laughs) It is July 9th. 
And moreover, if an institution pursues in-person or hybrid instruction this fall and a serious outbreak of COVID-19 occurs, the institution would face strong pressure not to switch to online instruction, as Harvard and others necessarily did this past March. Because if they were to do so, it would immediately place its international students in jeopardy. They go on to say that they've recognized the issues of the pandemic and have made strides in keeping the community safe and that they believe ICE order or they believe that the ICE order is bad public policy and that it is illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, the schools argue that for many students returning to their home countries to participate in online instruction is impossible, impractical, and prohibitively expensive and or dangerous, which is true. So the universities themselves already see the dangers of this because mm-hmm. these universities are filled with some of the brightest <laughs> people in the world. And along with mom and dad, Harvard and MIT, Alyssa's alma mater, mm-hmm. Dartmouth. Yeah, has so a lot of other universities have jumped on to Harvard and MIT's response, including Dartmouth, which I'm very proud of. Dartmouth stated that we remain firm in our belief that Dartmouth can realize its full potential only if it welcomes the most talented students, faculty, and scholars, regardless of their nation of origin. Any action inhibiting the free exchange of talent and ideas limits our ability to advance Dartmouth's core academic mission. By restricting international students' participation in online courses, our faculty choose to offer to protect the health and safety of our community members in the face of the continuing pandemic. This guidance strikes at the heart of that mission. For that reason, we stand with our peers in opposing this guidance through an amicus brief supporting today's federal lawsuit by Harvard and MIT seeking temporary restraining order prohibiting enforcement of the guidance. Through the national associations advocating for higher education institutions and our international students and through continued outreach to our elected representatives. They also say, in the meanwhile, with the support of the Office and Visa of Immigration Services, Dartmouth's leadership team is actively engaged in identifying possible solutions for fall term instruction and housing as informed by the potential impact of the guidance. We remain committed to communicating those decisions as quickly as possible and providing resources to our international students in this challenging time. Yeah, this, this already sucks. I actually just talked to a... Dartmouth student who's she's going into her junior year this year and I was just asking how they're approaching the whole COVID term for the fall there's she was saying that they're planning on splitting everything in half so only two years will be on campus at any given time and the other two years will be remote because for every dorm room they're only allowing singles Mm -hmm. or like two bedrooms For one person in each bedroom. So no doubles or triples or quads. And so that already cuts all of the housing by a lot. And they can't house more than half of their student population. Mm -hmm. So she was saying that because of this, like, you won't be able to see your friends up until their graduation because they'll be on, like, a different year than you will. Um, A lot of the classes are going to be split in half. And it just – it seems like – Oh, it already sucks. Now, like, this is on top of that. And, yeah, like, housing is already so important for international students abroad. And so if they were already splitting it in half, I don't even know how that would work with international students to begin with. Because mm-hmm. that would send – now that would send them home for half the year, and then they'd have to come back and forth every year, which – Who can afford that? Yeah, no. who can afford that? Would the university be paying that? No, definitely not. Probably not. No. 
Yeah. So. Because they're already paying full price for the university experience mm-hmm. and they're not even on the university campus. And even then, like with Dartmouth, a lot of students are on full financial aid. And so a lot of their income and housing and just way of life comes from this financial aid. And if they don't get that, they're going to be forced to just quit their studies altogether because there's no other way to, because they can't afford full tuition, especially if it doesn't encompass all, everything that's on campus. So, Yeah. Yeah. Universities know how important it is to have a diverse campus and international students not only bring a lot in to their pockets, but they go on and do amazing and wonderful things and in they the get to United States. in the United States. Yeah. And then they smack on like, oh, yeah, I went to this university. And it's like, oh, wow, really? OK, yeah. that's, that's neat. And so many international students stay in the U.S. and start startups and companies and go on to do amazing things for our country. So, yeah, so I don't I really hope if this happens, it's very temporary. And even then, it's already going to have so many effects afterwards so yeah i just hope i hope it doesn't go through there's an open petition currently i don't know who it was started by but it's asking for people's signatures uh people who are currently attending universities so their name what institution they're at and what's their positions with student and stuff Mm -hmm. when you actually look into because you can see the people who signed there are so many professors and board heads and just people within the faculty that have signed because they don't want this ban mm-hmm. because they no know one how wants terrible this. it is yeah. for the university. Literally no one wants this. Since this happened on Monday with this proposal and it's now Thursday, people are still like coming up with responses. Not a lot of universities have said something about it. Because I went on to a few universities' websites seeing if they posted anything about mm-hmm. it or their Twitter accounts, et cetera. And I wasn't able to find anything, especially because with Boston University back at the end of June, how they said, like, this visa ban doesn't affect students or faculty. And so I was trying to see if they posted anything new and they hadn't. Haven't yet. No. Yeah. Most of what I've seen is student responses. So there was a post floating around from Berkeley where the students were creating their own, like, one-unit in-person class to help international students be able to avoid deportation. And I brought this up with my friend who I talked about earlier, who's from India. And she said, like, that's great and all, but if they do make classes in person, then all of the international students that already went home would have to come back. You can't do your online classes from your home country if some of them are in person. Mm Mm-hmm. You can only do that if all of them are online. And the second that they're not online, you have to be on campus to do that. Yeah. It's kind of like a, well, what am I supposed to do? Might as well just quit. Yeah. Maybe. And we'll talk more about like the student's perspective in the next section. And we'll be talking more about that after this break. So we talked about the ban itself, how it affects universities, and now I don't know if it's more important, but I think a big important part is how it affects students because the students are the ones being affected. And so I was going all around the interwebs the yesterday because yesterday was basically the first day that I really saw yeah. a lot of stuff come mm-hmm. out. And I found an NPR article and it was talking about 
they gave interviews with two different students at different universities. And it kind of goes a little something like this. That an international student from Turkey pursuing her doctorate at Harvard was in complete disbelief on the news of the ban. As it basically states, internationals have to risk their lives to attend classes online while U.S. citizens can vote if they want to stay online or go in person. And historically, students in the U.S. on F1 and M1 visas have been barred from taking more than one online course. But as coronavirus spread and campuses closed, ICE all but waived that rule in March with a promise to adjust guidance as needed. Mm. So now looking at that currently, oh, it, that sucks. what, what? What is that? What are you trying to they do? They retracted back to now you can only do one. But why? I don't understand. <laughs> so because it's seeming like, oh, this is actually going along a lot longer than we thought. Just, uh, uh. Um, I thought what was interesting was like her take on how it's like, okay, so internationals have to go in person, but U.S. citizens can either decide. They decide if they want to stay in line, go, stay online or go in person even for, for the same yeah. school so they're the ones who work? vote for that i don't know but that's what she had said in the mm -hmm. article for harvard but harvard had already decided to go all online mm -hmm. but this student has already tried to imagine carrying on her doctoral work not just courses but also teaching and research because when you're doing your phd you have to start teaching courses mm -hmm. there's a teaching component and then in your last few years you do research and yeah. And so she has to do that from her home in Istanbul. But not only that, she will be having to share a room with her elderly relative suffering from a medical condition, which brings a lot of difficulties. Because what if she comes back and does her two-week quarantine and then gives her elderly relative COVID? There's so many issues with that at hand. And one of the other one of the other students they interviewed was from India, and he's attending Northwestern University, who has already stated that they were doing hybrid courses. But he suffers from severe asthma and finds returning to a classroom, quote unquote, really scary. He said that we have to risk our lives and go to the university, even if we are at a higher risk of contracting the virus or dying from it. Students who are American citizens, he add, can put their personal safety first and elect to stay out of the classrooms. In his hometown, he thinks he can manage studying online because public utilities and the internet are pretty reliable. But he can't say the same for some friends from other parts of India who, quote, don't really know when the electricity will go out. And something I found interesting in this article was that in 2015, the girl from Turkey visited Boston before enrolling in Harvard. And she remembers being greeted by LCD screens as she passed through customs at Logan Airport, which had a reoccurring video of Barack Obama speaking and saying, welcome to America. Upon her return three years later for Harvard, Obama's no longer president, the video had disappeared, and the greeting had not been replaced. And she said, in a quote, I know it seems like a small thing, but it tells you a lot about how the climate has changed. You can't expect a welcome message. Oh my god. Just even that I felt like that was like one of the most impactful things because yeah. it's just like we don't care. Mm -hmm. We don't care if you come here. We don't care if you leave. Well, we care if you leave. I'm sorry everyone. <laughs> Something I've liked about 
this whole thing is seeing everyone come together, which is always good. I mean, everyone's coming together over a lot of things <laughs> for the last couple months. Um, there's been some really great meme pages that have popped up on Facebook. For example, there's one called Deportation Memes for F1 Teens, <laughs> the Facebook page. The comments, you can see people are obviously in distress, but trying to make light of it. Um, one person said, deportation is a free ticket out of America. Silver lining? Nope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is why Canada is better than the USA. Canada would always, <laughs> always win. Canada always win. Though we've we've learned recently that Canada has its own issues too. Of course, I agree. We just we just don't pay attention about that. No, and can't Canadians don't either. Mm. Um, someone else commented, "As if ice couldn't get any worse." Glad we're in the land down under, <laughs> bruh. <laughs> oh my god. So if my school offers a hybrid model, then I have to figure out how to get back to the U.S. and take one class. Chuckles, I'm in danger. We're all in distress right now. Only thing I've really seen that we can do is call your state officials for help. There's something I saw about petitions is that they don't really matter if they're not started by an official person. They're just started by some normal person. They're going to get swept under the rug. So the most impact you can have right now is by emailing. One thing that I noticed with, so there's a White House petition about the ban. Yeah, I saw that one. And mm-hmm. I think it was only asking for 100,000 signatures by August, like later August. I think it's already at like 300, it's, right? It's already Something over like, like 200. Like mm-hmm. last time I looked was over 200,000 within a day of being opened. And so it goes to show like all these numbers flowing in of people standing in solidarity mm-hmm. and not wanting this ban to happen. The only thing that you can do to stop COVID is for you to actually do your part. I know it's hard like when you miss friends, but it's like when you're going from one friend group to the next, to the next, to the next, and mm-hmm. then you say like, oh, you know, I've been seeing the regular people. And then you go and hang out and then it's just like, wait, how many people have you been seeing? Oh, these people. And then how many people have they been seeing? And then you- and them, and them. That's like, okay, well, that's yeah. not exactly the definition of, like, social distancing and quarantining that some other people yeah. are staying under. What what sucks about the American view on the world is that America is very individualistic, so mm-hmm. everyone's acting on their own accord. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make your own life. And that's not how other countries operate. Other countries operate for the greater good of everyone. And I think with a lot of Americans, stuff doesn't matter until it affects you directly. And by the time that happens, it's already too late, Mm -hmm. especially in the case of COVID. And I think we're really seeing that in action right now, which sucks. (laughs) Yeah, because even when it affects somebody personally nobody else is going to listen to them because of their society that they're in Mm -hmm. i don't know god i wish this was a collective society however (laughs) i digress about that but there's only so much you can do with a country that's built off of individualism Mm -hmm. and wanting to start fresh for yourself and going about you and you and you only maybe caring about the people in your life but only when it benefits you like I saw something with a family with a mother 
exposing her daughter to COVID. Oh, yeah, the Florida. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Basically, this mom took her daughter to a church party with the intention of exposing her to COVID to build immunity. And then her daughter was immunocompromised. She got sick. Her mom applied some home remedies, made it worse. Daughter went gray from lack of oxygen. And by the time she got to the hospital, it was too late. I also saw some stuff online about um, just how herd immunity in general isn't something that works with COVID, mm-hmm. especially because the antibodies disappear after a short period of time. So that's not a solution for this disease. No, not at all. But you can kind of see like within her mindset, she might have just been like, oh, like, I want to show that I can do this mm-hmm. for me. I don't care about my daughter at all. And that, it breaks my heart, man. Mm, so sad. It's so sad. I don't know. You just see things like that all the time, though, because people are arguing, saying that they just don't want to wear a mask because they're just too egotistical to have their face covered. And it's not even for any sort of disease that they have. Like, I, like if you were like, literally cannot wear a mask, then there's so many other alternatives for you to do, you know? Like the face shield. Face shields, yes. Mm-hmm. Or online ordering and, like, having things delivered to your house and you're not exposed if you can't wear a mask. People who are just extremely immunocompromised, the safest thing to do is to stay home. Mm-hmm. Especially right now with everyone just going out and about and acting like nothing's going on. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine if universities reopen, parties are going to start more than they already have. In classrooms, when you're there for like over an hour, three hours, having to wear a mask, it's going to be like so difficult. So people are going to probably take off their mask or not wear a mask. Some teachers might not even enforce it. Who knows? Like, you you don't. Like, you see some things of like little plastic shields between like the seats and people. If the universities don't have the funding from having the international students, where are they going to get the money? <laughs> and especially if they get their funding cut by the government. We're too far into it to be able to have any perks yeah. like other countries have had. So like South Korea, who was on top of it right out the bat, they instituted all of the face shield things in their desks and lunchrooms and everything and going about as usual. Mm-hmm. And same with Japan. They never reached more than a couple thousand cases and never had to close their economy because everyone wore a mask and believed in the virus (laughs) yeah it's like nobody doubts that the bubonic plague happened nobody doubts that spanish influenza ever happened yeah the swine flu yeah so how how will this be in our history books years from now i mean it'll show we have so many records and just thinking archaeologically we're going to be having so many layers of like masks that somebody's going to be able to uncover my mm-hmm. mom's having me start like this little like box of not tr- I wouldn't say trinkets, but just of like, like a time capsule, like a time capsule mm-hmm. for now. She's like, Michaela, here, like put take a this, mask. put a mask in here. <laughs> here's that I was screened like little sticker, and here's something from a COVID, not like the actual stick from the COVID test, but something from like a COVID testing. And like my dad got a COVID test, and luckily it was negative, but I can print out the email and put it in there. But there's the 2020 time capsule. God, so much has happened. I can't even think. It's only July. <laughs> it's only, I don't even remember what happened in April and May. I think I said that last 
podcast. Oh my god. Yeah, I felt like so March went by very slowly because it was still like like oh what's going on? April I felt went by very fast. April May June went by very fast. Yeah, blinked. It's blinked and then it's like oh my god. I feel like end of oh yeah May June was kind of like a little bit slower for me because of the whole BLM. Mm. and just kind of like staying aware every day and just kind of being updated and everything mm-hmm. but then also even then you think back like how long has blm been happening it's been a couple months yeah and it doesn't feel like that it feels no. like a week yeah it's very interesting time to be a anthropologist archaeologist there's so much to observe and we were gonna be recording it will be our episode like next week about speaking white in linguistic anthropology but because of this that just came out, we were like, oh, I think this it's is... a little close to home. Should yeah. talk about it. Especially as we were both international students, but just for in the UK. So just thinking if it was reverse, if we were in the UK coming to the US and seeing how that would be, that would be very difficult. Crazy. Crazy world we're living in. Wish I stayed in the UK. <laughs> this episode's a little different than our normal. We're just yeah. more of a discussion. Tying it into, like we said at the beginning, like this is a student podcast where we want to bring in information for students or anybody interested in anthropology, archaeology. If you want to do a little bit of your own research on this topic, we're going to link all of our sources in the description, as well as petitions you can sign. And one, if you're a grad student, I recently found this really awesome grad student Facebook page called How to Not Grad School Like a Basic Bitch. I find it amazing and super supportive and everyone just comments about um, like positions they're looking for or how to apply to certain grants or how to apply to certain programs and first gen students and people of color. And it's just really amazing. And they've been updating people on the ice stuff too. And there's a lot of awesome Facebook pages in addition to that, but that's one that I especially appreciate right now. No. Stay informed. Wear a mask. We uh, have to be real to what's happening. Yeah, yeah. No. I I would I feel bad going about as usual. Yeah. Now is not the time to do that. So. Yeah. Before Black Lives Matter was really like kicking off with the murder of George Floyd, we were gonna do a podcast about grants. <laughs> yeah. We probably should still do a podcast. It's crazy yeah. how amid amidst all that is happening we still have to continue with academia Mm -hmm. despite everything yeah and so people are out there still applying to programs and grants and i can't imagine like finishing a dissertation right now i have a friend who's like defending her thesis this week and just props to all of you guys in your last years of grad school and props to you guys applying to grad school right now mm-hmm. all the all the luck in That's the world crazy. for you guys you Every, deserve it yep keep pushing on everything's on fire but we'll get through it <laughs> there's one part of the trash can that's not on fire yet so go there <laughs> go to the corner of the dumpster. go to the corner it hasn't reached that corner yet. we're, we're amidst the flames already we're, the flames. We're, we're like at the bottom of the flames <laughs> someone put it out like like Lisa said, just 
stay informed, sign petitions, read articles, read scholarly articles from universities and from the actual government website. Don't read them from Fox News, CNN, like news sources, you know. It's more important for you to get the news from its source and then dissect it yourself and with the peers among you and figure it out that way rather than getting a skewed notion of that source. And that's Anthropology 101. Thank you. All right, guys. See you next time. We'll see you next time. <laughs> yeah, like we said, we'll be putting all the links into the descriptions. We'll put them onto our Instagram and Twitter, and we'll keep the Twitter informed as well as the Instagram. Bye. <laughs> This show is produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.